I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have a really exciting episode with actor Oli Hoskavi, who you've just seen crush it in Marvel's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He's been on other projects like The Sinner, The Deuce, and he's crushing the New York grind, and I'm so proud of him. And it's really cool to get to hear his journey of being a character actor and everything that he's made happen for him. I got so much love. Here it is. Oli Huskavi, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm better now, man. It's it's great to have you on. I I I just want you to know that I see you. I see the work you're doing, and I love it. It's it's so inspiring. You know, your career, if I'm being totally honest, is is where I hope to be in two to five years. You know, like I see the work that you're doing. You're on all the best shows, and I you know, manifest Falcon and winter soldier. Now, I mean, you're exploding mm-hmm. the deuce. You've worked with so many friends of mine, Chris Bauer, Bill mm-hmm. Pullman, you know, you're, you're, you're doing amazing work and I don't know you, but I just feel so proud of you. Thank you so much. That's incredibly flattering. I'm, I'm, I feel lucky to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to get to know you, but in order to do that, I'd love to start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Let's do it. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and we lived there until I was about eight years old. And then my dad got a job near Sarasota, Florida. So we moved there. And that's that's where I feel like I did most of my growing up because from the time I was nine until I left for college. Um, Do you we even remember Cleveland much or not really? A little bit. Um, and I And I still have a couple of friends from being there till I was nine. Um... But yeah, all I think all of my real growing up was in Sarasota, Florida. Wow, that's amazing. And talk to me, I mean, honestly, Cleveland and Florida, they just seem on su- such different ends of the spectrum. What mm-hmm. what was that like when you moved to Florida? Did you love it or No, it um, it I, you know, I 
in Cleveland went to the same school until I was in the third grade. And I felt like I had my friends and I liked that school and liked those people. Oh, and, so wow. And, and so I, I think it was mildly traumatic. If my parents are listening, it's all good. I turned out. Okay We're going to invoice them for the therapy today. <laughs> exactly. I really, yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, but, but I do think it was a little um, upsetting to move to Florida and to go to a small school where all of those kids had been together since kindergarten and I wasn't one of them. And it was also a school that um, it was a small private school and it very much sort of catered to one type of economic background and one type of, you know, I, I felt like it was a lot of kids that were the children of doctors and lawyers. Yeah. And I was, I was already in fourth grade turning into a weirder artsier kid who loved musicals and knew all the words to musicals and in a small school with 20 other kids who've known each other since they were toddlers, that doesn't go great for you. Yeah. It ended up being fine, but, um, and there's, there's a lot that I love about having grown up in Sarasota, but the, but the actual move I think was challenging. I can only imagine, you know, that almost happened with me and I, I begged my parents not to, and, and it, it ended up not happening, but um, oh, wow. my parents were divorced, but one was going to move. And, you know, I, I, I really relate to that. So talk to me about, you know, when that, that trauma happened, were you already into the arts at that time? Or do you feel like in Florida, it kind of forced you because you had to build all over again, that you really, you were using entertainment as a means to, you know, not feel as alone. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, my parents took me and my younger sister to see a lot of theater in Cleveland when we were really young. At the Cleveland Playhouse, sir. At the Cleveland Playhouse. And usually like the tours of the musicals that would come in or take us to the ballet or those things. The I mean, neither of my parents. Uh huh. My, yeah. my name is on a brick outside of that. Is it really? Cause our, yeah. Cause our family donated, you know, a hundred dollars or something to it. Wow. And, um, as a result, you got your name on a brick. Um, but um, so my, my parents, neither of them are in the arts, but they are into it. And so they would bring my sister and I, we saw, the Marie Osmond tour of the sound of music. We saw cats. We saw Joseph and the amazing technicolor Dreamcoat, like those kinds of things. And I was always enamored with it when we were seeing the shows in Cleveland. But what you say is really interesting because it wasn't until we moved to Florida that I actually got involved at the end of my fourth grade year. I auditioned for my first show in community theater in Bradenton, Florida and got cast. And that was, I do think that that was crucial timing because I wasn't really feeling great at that school, but I did feel great in that theater with those people. One of whom is still, you know, one of my best friends in the world. And so I I do think the timing of it doesn't feel coincidental looking back. That's amazing. And, and also, and, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you, please. No, I, I was going to say, um, luckily, unbeknownst to us when we moved, 
the Bradenton, Sarasota area of Florida has a ton of theater. And so it's a little bit different now, but when I was growing up there, there were six or seven professional theaters, probably four or five community theaters. And so we had landed in this town. There were sort of a couple towns very nearby, um, but we landed in this area where there was a ton of opportunity. And so starting from the end of fourth grade, until I graduated high school, I was really regularly doing shows at those theaters. That's incredible. And and just to expound upon it, when you say community theater, you mean it was not associated with your school at all? No, not at all. And actually, I mean, I ended up leaving that small private school to go to an arts high school in Sarasota. And that arts high school is a wonderful place for many reasons, but they do they used to, at least when I was there, they did four plays a year. And I only did one of them in my four years of high school because I was always doing shows outside of school at wow. the other theaters. That's inc- How big was the age demographic at the community theater? Did they, did they cap it at 18 or were people? No, it was, um, it was all, um, it was all over the map. And, you know, Florida has a not small retirement community. And so, you know, there were people from, you know, the age of four or five to the age of 95. That's so beautiful. I'm curious because you did leave all your Cleveland friends behind that become your new home. Everyone you met at at the community theater, did you feel comfortable? And was that your saving grace, so to speak? I think so. And actually I ended up doing more shows at a couple of the professional theaters in Sarasota. And so my family, it's very strange to look back on, but a lot of that family feeling or a lot of the friends that I felt like I had at that time were actors that were jobbing in from New York or Los Angeles to come do a musical in Sarasota, Florida for three months. Was it equity? Yeah. Wow. So you were getting your Um, equity card so early. I wasn't doing any of the official, like I didn't do any of the paperwork to register for my equity card at the time Um, for good or for bad. I guess it doesn't really matter looking back, but, um, but yeah, I was technically getting paid, but I was not. um, And other plenty of other people involved were members of the union, but I, um, I wasn't like building up to that at that time. And, and I'm curious, I, I have to ask, you know, how were your parents responding to you integrating so much into the art scene? Were they were they cool with that? Or were they like, you know, hey, lawyer, doctor, you know, you go to you went to a private school that, you know, like talk to me. Yeah, I really lucked out in that department, I have to say. I mean, my dad was a soccer player professionally and he coaches now and my mom is an interior decorator and so I think they both have careers where they understand what it is to follow the thing that you're passionate about. And so I don't know that they still understand a lot of the specifics of what being an actor is actually like, but I do think at a very basic level, they understand what it is to be excited about something and to want to pursue it. Wow. And so, you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine the amount of driving they did to take me to and from rehearsals or dance classes and those things. And there was sort of the feeling of 
yeah, you can follow whatever you want to follow, but you better work really hard. Yeah. There was no, um, I was definitely not coddled as, as a child. I was not raised as the most special, most talented kid around or anything. They were sort of like, yeah, cool. You're interested in this and that's great. But if you're going to do it, you should really do it. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's, I mean, that's amazing to have that from your parents. And I got to ask, you know, at what point did you recognize this was your calling? That's a really good question. I mean, I think that if you asked someone else who knows me really well, I think they maybe would say that it's been the case since I was, you know, four or five or six years old. I think it's natural to, and I'm so curious to know about all of your experiences too, but I I think it's natural to have questions along the way and to to sort of waver from time to time. And I mean, I, I still feel that way. I'm 34 years old and I've done okay for myself, but I still have plenty to wonder about in terms of what my future might look like. But, but I, I think it's the kind of thing that it was always there, but there were certainly moments where I wasn't so sure or moments where, you know, maybe it would go, six or eight months and I wouldn't do a show at one of those theaters in town. And my mom or dad would sort of be like, are you still interested? It's okay if you're not. Yeah. We've noticed that you haven't wanted to do anything in a little while. And I also went to this performing arts high school that was incredibly competitive and like a LaGuardia type school of Florida. Yeah. And it was really, um, sort of cutthroat and political. And I I was introduced to a lot of not ideal components of how this can feel at a very young age. Whoever's parents donate the most, get the best roles. That's how it usually went. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, um, yeah. specifics of that I don't need to air out. No, that's all you had to say. Yeah. um, Yeah, exactly. And so I remember dealing with a lot of that nonsense as like a sophomore in high school and feeling like, is this really something you want to put yourself through? Or you're certainly not very supported where you are in the moment. Is that an indication of something? But, um, but you know, I, I kept coming back to how much I love it and how, you know, it's, probably the thing that makes me feel the most alive and a community that I really love and care about. And, you know, I, it's easy to sort of blow it off and say, I just couldn't come up with anything else. And that is partially true. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is the kind of thing that from a very young age was the thing that I was dreaming about. And then naturally, as is the case with everybody, probably along the way, there have been some rough patches or patches Always. where I'm questioning a lot of things. And after despairs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's an extraordinary title. So congratulations no, thank on you. that. So to so talk to me, you know, because uh, we're not that far in age. I'm 31 and I grew up in okay. Richmond, Virginia. And, I, you know, at the time we were coming up, you know, Richmond and Wilmington, what are what Atlanta now is, you know, Mm -hmm. were you ever doing the agent in the Florida grind or or were you not there yet? 
I wasn't. And I think I maybe missed it a little bit. I remember when I was really young, a lot of those Nickelodeon shows would advertise that they were shooting in Orlando, Florida. Oh, at Universal. God. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think I maybe missed that by a couple of years. Okay. And I also have a suspicion that my parents maybe would have drawn the line at something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. That's incredible. So, so talk to me then as you're, you're getting along in high school, you know, you said it didn't sound like you had the best support there, but at your community theater, did you have like, you know, some seasoned actors that were coming through and took a liking to you and, and gave you good advice or, you know, some instructors there, like who were your, your mentors that were kind of validating you know, when we have these moments of crises? Yeah, it was, I have to say, I think very confusing because I would get jobs, actual jobs at professional theaters when I was in high school and I would be working with actors, some of whom had amazing careers on Broadway and had decided to sort of halfway retired to Florida. Anyone you can or, mention? Uh, yeah, let me think of a couple of names um, and I'll report back on that. Yeah, maybe. no problem. But, um, but, but it was confusing because I would be, let me, let me form this thought really quickly. Um, I think it was a confusing period of time because I was getting actual jobs at professional theaters while I was in high school. And I would work with actors who were actual professional actors from New York City who would be incredibly supportive or who would say, you know, kiddo, I think you could have a future or whatever. And then I was in a high school all day, every day where you know, they did four shows a year and in four years, I only got cast in one of them. That should say something about the sort of environment that I was dealing in. And then I, you know, in the summer, after I was a sophomore in high school, I did Anne Ryan King's Broadway Theater Project, which was yeah. a summer intensive program that she started where she would bring down to Florida all of these extraordinary people to come and teach for three weeks And it was, you know, people from all around the world would come and do that. And I got in as a 15-year-old. And so I had a lot of signals from the larger world that maybe I was okay at this. But again, I was spending my days in a high school environment that um, had not much interest in me being there. Yeah. And that was really challenging. And then... I got into a really good college. I went to the University of Michigan for musical theater and spent the first year or two there really not sure that I belonged there because I was with an amazingly talented class, all of whom were, you know, the big stars where they came from. And I had no such confidence. And Even though you I, were technically working professionally, you... Yeah, I mean, I think it's partially that thing where, you know, it feels a little cliche, but it feels like 
you know, 10 people can say nice things about you, but yeah. you'll remember the two people that don't say nice things about you. Welcome to my I comments. Was, <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And, I, and so I, I think it was a version of that, but I also think it was the kind of thing where, again, for four years of high school, all day, every day, I was in that one environment. And so I think that was the thing that felt really reinforced. Yeah. And so, but again, even though there were incredibly challenging periods of time within that program, I always came back around to wanting to do it. And part of it too, thankfully this is long gone, but part of it too, when I was a kid was like, I'll show them. Yeah. Like watch me get into this really good college. Watch me get into this really good summer program. It did provide a certain amount of drive at the time. Yeah. And I can't say that wasn't helpful. That's amazing. And and did you complete all four years to like back to back? Because I, I took some time off in mine and. In college, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I did. Uh, I did those four years consecutively. That's incredible. So talk to me then about graduating from that and, and, that that moment, I mean, because you did musical theater, I guess that kind of does delegate you to New York. But was there a moment of like, do I go to L.A.? Do I go to New York? You know, like, talk to me. Where, where was your head at? I was pretty New York focused. My school only did a showcase in New York for one thing. Oh, you guys had a showcase? Yeah. Wow. Um, But also part of it was that you know, the benefit of going to any sort of training program is you have the classes above you and you see what they end up doing and where they end up going. And almost everyone from my school at least started off in New York City. And so it just sort of felt like the thing you did. Yeah. And at the time too, I mean, I was 91% focused on doing musicals. Yeah. And that was what I trained for. That was a big part of what I loved originally. And so, you know, New York City is the place for that. And did you get representation through the showcase? I did. I got an agent who was fine. And then a couple people from that agency ended up leaving a couple months later. And, you know, there was much less interest in me at that agency Ah. once those people had gone. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I got some pretty good advice early on that was just someone saying, you know, it might take some trial and error for you to find the exact right people. It's like dating, you know? Totally. And I mean, I, I didn't live in New York City this past year because of the coronavirus, but I have technically been based in New York City since 2008. Me too. And amazing. Yeah. And through that stretch of time, you know. I had that first agency that had personnel changes that sort of affected my ability to work with them. I had a manager who fully ghosted all of her clients at one point. God, I had another manager who left the business. Like, you know, that trial and error point that someone made to me is exactly correct. Yeah. Did you come here and and live with a group of peers or did you get your own thing solo figured out? I lived with my best friend from college for seven years in oh, Sunnyside, Queens. That's amazing. Um, 
AJ Shively, a phenomenal actor. Um, and I'm so thankful for that one, because it's so fun to live with your best friend for seven years, but also because I think it gave both of us a real sort of home base Yeah. in, in those first couple of years. And I think that was more crucial than maybe we realized because I don't know that for my disposition, I could have been one of those people that, you know, does like eight sublets in their first six months or something like that. It's so heavy, the New York living situation. But did you come here with a, you know, a a survival? Like, did you do anything at college that would allow you to do anything that wasn't hospitality? Or did you do the hospitality thing? I couldn't get hired to do the hospitality thing. Really? You know, New York City restaurants are no joke and it's hard to get hired. The expectation so much higher. Yeah. And so I, the first job I had was I worked at the 24 hour Apple store on fifth Avenue and 59th street. I worked there too. Oh my God. When I worked there from 2012 to 2013, I quit. Wow. Yeah. 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 What did you do? I was a back of house specialist. Interview. Oh man. Amazing. Those people, I, I those hated, people are very important. I hated it. I, I'm a social being. I was hired to be on the floor. And then one manager was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't know. They put me here. And she's like, let me get you on the floor. It'll be six months. And then I, I tore my meniscus and it was the best thing that happened to me because I was like, thank God I don't have to go there. Cause I was getting, I was getting, you know, uh, what's it called? Disability. And then oh, I was wow. just like, by the time I was so healthy, I was like, this is a horrible job. I'm going back to college. And that's why I went back. <laughs> I love it. It, um, yeah, I was a cashier and I, um, this could just be an entire interview about the Apple store. On oh Fifth man, Avenue, I could talk Street. so much trash as I sit here on my Apple computer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. I actually had, I actually had a lot of really fun people that I worked there with and I was sad to leave them. But what happened was I applied for a bunch of jobs all at once. The Apple store was just the first place to call and then a couple weeks later, about a month later, I got a job that I ended up having off and on for about two years, um, typing transcripts at an office on 81st and Columbus, where how it worked was, you know, 2020 or whoever would interview a subject for two hours, but they only show six minutes of it on television. And so we would type up the transcript of the whole two hours and they would use that transcript to edit it to what you see on television. And that was a job that was only from 3 PM to 7 PM. And so I could schedule. Yeah, exactly. And so I spent years of my life waking up first thing in the morning to go sign up for an EPA at the equity office going back to Queens, going back to bed for two hours, waking up, getting ready for the audition, doing the audition at maybe like a two ten appointment slot, and then going to work from three to seven. And for a long time, that worked pretty well. That was a, not a bad setup to have for your first couple of years. Yeah. And, and at those EPAs, is that where you garnered the first credits an off Broadway or, or Broadway type thing was, or where did you get a co-star or guest star first? Those EPAs were the main thing I had going on for a long time. I mean, I, because again, I had agents sort of off and on during that period of time. Occasionally they would make things happen, but not often. And so those EPAs were often 
my way into those agent auditions was I would go to the EPA, hopefully do a good job. Hopefully someone would notice. And then I would get a callback, but that callback was actually just the first round of agent appointments. Got it. And so that was really my foot in the door. And I did get a couple of jobs that way, but more importantly, I think I got a good amount of casting relationships that way because more often than not, the people at those EPAs are lower level assistants, but two or three years later, they will be associates or they'll have their own office. And there are some relationships that I have with casting directors who I still see regularly or who still ask for me to audition pretty regularly. Like Telsey or, you know, one of the ones that does it all. Yeah. And the first couple times I met them was in a closet sized room at the old equity building. Wow. And David Vicari. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, and so I really, you know, that was what I had access to for a really long time. And I can't, you know, I mean, the whole time, obviously, I wished that that was not my scenario. Yeah. But um, I guess I made it work okay. And and to, to go back to what you asked about, maybe this is, I was about to like introduce the topic of TV and film, but maybe. Yeah, I, maybe no, I no, no, that's maybe, perfect. Maybe I should let you do it. No, do it. Take us in, Oli. Yeah. um, Interestingly, I think the first audition I got after my college showcase was to be a pretty big lead of a pretty big movie. And it was one of those searches, you know, when they're looking for a young person, sometimes, yeah, sometimes the floodgates are just wide open to Can you say what it was or... I think the film actually changed titles a couple of times. And so I can't actually... I think it was it was one of those films that in that moment was like everyone is going to be talking about this film and there were some big actors attached and then it ended up coming out with a different title many years later and I don't Oh it got stuck in development in the whole thing yeah exactly but at the moment it was very clearly you know positioned to be a huge thing and it was a studio film and all this stuff and that was the first audition I got after my showcase and I remember thinking what in the world do I know about this? It's not really what I trained for. I'm interested in some way. I mean, I knew in college, I felt like, yeah, I'll focus on musical theater in New York City, but television sounds cool. I grew up loving television. We all want to survive, you know, and make money, you know? Yeah, and, and I definitely envisioned that as later down the line, after I'd gotten a foothold in the theater, maybe then I would expand into television and film and see what that may have to offer. But the, again, the first audition I got was this big part in a big movie and I ended up getting a couple callbacks for it. Wow. And so, and kind of noticing through that process that I felt really comfortable. I felt pretty confident. I liked the way that the audition was run more than I liked a big cattle call at Chelsea studios. Yeah. And, um, and so that sort of planted a seed very early on that, yeah, you moved to New York city to do musical theater, but remember that other experience you had that felt pretty good. Yeah. How do we, how can we find more of that? And that was, 
you know, another process of trial and error for a long time. Wow. And so then when you went pretty far down that ladder, that must have given you a lot of confidence. It, excuse me. <clears throat> um, it did give me a little bit of confidence, but I didn't in that moment know how to capitalize on it. And I didn't really have agents that I think really knew how to capitalize in it in that moment. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was more just kind of in the back of my mind for a long time that that world might be interesting to you. And it was also a moment, you know, I moved here in 2008. That was around the time that television was getting really, really, really good. Yeah. And a lot of it was starting to film in New York City, which had not been the case. And so I think it was just sort of timing in the universe at large where it was just a good time to be in New York City starting to get interested in television. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And what were, uh, did you start having rapport with a lot of the, you know, like uh, Philip Huffman at Law and Order or the other, or the, those kind of offices? Rapport might be putting it strongly. I mean, I was certainly taking a lot of classes at one-on-one and places oh, like that. Oh, so you that. did the one-on-one and actors connection grind. Plenty. Yeah. I, and for good or for bad, I mean, I do have nebulous feelings about that world and how it operates but i also feel a little bit like living proof that it can help out a lot and because again it really did take i moved here in 2008 i would say it wasn't until 2013 2014 that i really felt like i had agents that i could really trust and managers that i could really trust And so again, similar to the EPAs, the main thing I could do for myself, again, like I had a manager who fully ghosted everyone. And so in that moment, I guess the only thing I can do is sign up for some classes and hope for the best. So you were doing the same thing. You were, you would get some good news from the EPA or an audition and come in and use that as, you know, muscle or way to, to re-network at, you know, one-on-one that's, that's literally what I did. And that's how I started building up, you know? Totally. And, and I think what I learned in that system, which may be different now because it's been a little while. And I know that those classes have undergone a lot of shifts over the years, but I remember and a lot learning, of rules from SAG, you know, cause it got, got pretty exactly. sketchy there for a second. Yeah. And I, feel like I missed that moment where it got kind of sketchy by, you know, six months or a year. It was, I wasn't really doing that that much at that moment, but I realized pretty early on that if you can go into those classes and take them as seriously as you take your auditions and be as prepared as you would be for your audition, you can get some real mileage out of them. And those were really, again, similar to what I said about EPAs, a lot of relationships that are great relationships that I've now had for a long time started in those classes. 
So for all those actors listening that are in those, you know, CD workshops in LA or here in New York, you did get auditions from them. There is hope. I did. And I, one thing that was helpful for me, and again, I'm a little out of it, so I don't know if this is still possible, but one thing that was helpful for me was figuring out which teachers and which studios would let you bring your own scene. The best, the BYOS, bring your own sides. Yeah, because I had been a little burned a couple times where I would just be assigned something that in no world so am I right for. God. Yeah, but once I started to learn which studios or which teachers would let you bring your own, I had one scene that I would do if it was a casting director who mostly did comedies and it was a scene that I knew I could do really well in my sleep. And then I had one scene that I would do if it was a casting director who mostly did more drama. And wow. so I, I was able, and they're probably still in my folder over there. Those two scenes right here, dude, our journeys are the same. I love this. And so, yeah. so, so talk to me, was the first thing that you booked a co-star guest art wise, was that from one-on-one or from an agent? It was from an agent that I was freelancing with, who's not an agent anymore. But I had noticed on the one-on-one website that, you know, they have those success stories. You were one of the success stories? I don't know about that, but it was an agent whose name I had seen a lot in those success stories that said, you know, so-and-so booked their first co-star after meeting this agent at one-on-one. Yeah. And so then I went to meet that agent and she said, I might be able to help you out. And then my first co-star, which was one line on Unforgettable on CBS, came as a result of an audition that she got me. That's incredible. And did she ask you to sign then? No, she did not. Oh, really? Um, No way. um, (laughs) Uh, she's not an agent anymore. And so maybe, maybe she was already sort of one foot out the door at that point. Yeah. Or maybe she just didn't like me that much. Who knows? But, um, but no, I, but you know, I was able to get that first job from her. And so I'm thankful forever for her and for that. That's so beautiful. And then did that help you amplify that into the guest star, into the, you know, reoccurring, you know, the old sayings, you get the first line, get the second line, get the third line, get five lines, you know, and, and is that what you did tactically? Yeah, it was very slow, but steady ish progress from there. I mean, I think it helped a lot to have one thing on my resume where a casting director could go, okay, someone let him on a TV set. On a million dollar set, this guy's, you can trust him. Right. And so I think after I got that first job, I think then it was easier to get auditions. Yeah. And then it was easier to get jobs because you have more auditions. I know. And, And it was, and can still feel like it's really slow going. It was not like a light switch flipped overnight and suddenly... I have all these appointments because the other thing too that feels worth mentioning as a component of this, I guess, is that I'm not like a sort of CW young and stunning character actor. Right. I'm a strange character actor in a lot of ways. And so there's not always a ton of opportunities for 
that exact box or whatever you would want to say. And so that, you know, like anything else, there are moments where that has really benefited me and there have been moments where it has not. And so that also fed into the conversation about co-stars moving up into guest stars where yeah ideally at a certain point you only want to be a guest star yeah you gotta say no to those because they bring your value down you know right but also there aren't always a ton of great guest stars for my box um and so that just feels worth mentioning as a as a component of all this that's beautiful. And then I imagine you eventually found an agent as you got more credits that took a liking to you and, and helped you develop your career. Yeah, I was doing Saturday night off Broadway at the York, this uh, musical that's, it's the first musical Stephen Sondheim ever wrote when he was in his early twenties. And it was only the second time this has been done in New York city. And it was so fun with this amazing, amazing cast. And I had a really nice part in it. And so as a result of that, I had a handful of agent meetings and I was with a manager at the time who was pretty good. Um, But, you know, you also want an agent if you can get one. And, um, And so I had a couple meetings as a result of having been in Saturday night. And they were interesting because I was saying to these agents, at the time I had probably been on two or three TV shows, maybe I had done two or three films. And I was saying in these meetings, I know you just saw me in this big musical and I know that I went to college at this big musical theater college, but the thing that I'm much more interested in right now is television. Yeah. And almost all of the agencies that I met with in that moment said, you know, that sounds like cool. That's cute. But we want what we have access to and what we would send you out for is musical theater And then there was one agent when I said, you know, I'm much more interested in developing my television career at this moment in time. There was one agent who went, great. Yeah, I think we can do that. And so I went, okay. Is that Eddie? Yeah. Yeah. Who I'm, you know, who I'm still with today. And it's been six or seven years and I trust his taste and he knows me really well. And I think he's really smart. And I think I've benefited from being at a smaller sort of boutique agency. And yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful, but it did take, I think Saturday night was 2014 or 2013. So five or six years after I moved to New York city, it took a while to find a person where it fully clicked as opposed to partially clicked. That's so beautiful. And, you know, you have an incredible resume, you know, and, and I do want to get to, to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but talk to me, you know, yeah. you've worked with so many amazing people, Bill Pullman on the center the blacklist, mm-hmm. the deuce with my homie, Chris Bauer and David Simon. Uh-huh. And you did it twice on plot against America, you know, talk to me about auditioning and, and getting, you know, the bigger and the bigger parts. What do you, there isn't a key, let's say, but how do you get better at that? You know, like talk, that's a really hard question to answer. I I apologize, but if we can tackle that, that'd be beautiful. Yeah. I think that a lot changed for me in my auditions for television and film 
when I went in acting like I was shooting the job, yeah. acting like it was my close up on the day that I was filming this scene. Because I think that that really helped me sort of hyper focus and block everything else out the way that you have to when you're shooting. Because when I'm shooting something on a set, it can't bother me that the sound guy is on his phone or that, yeah. you know, we're, we're running six hours behind and everyone's yelling at each other. You have to find a way to still deliver your best in that moment. Not that you're always able to, God knows, but you at least have to try to. And I think that once I was approaching my auditions that same way, going, this is my close-up, and how would I behave as if I were shooting my close-up? And I need to be as prepared as I would be to shoot my close-up in the time I'm given, which is not always a lot of time. But I think that that approach locked something in for me. And I think that pretty quickly after that, I think I started to see better results more frequently. Because the other thing that that did, the other added benefit of it, is that it sort of made, just as I described how it would be on a set, it sort of made everything in that casting room irrelevant. Yeah. Where if the casting director was not a nice. little dismissive yeah. or, yeah, it, I still had to, when he or she pressed record, I still had to fully do it. Yeah. And I also think that combined with the feeling that as I was starting to get to audition for better and better parts in better and better projects, just the approach became, you know, this is such a great part in such a great script. This audition might be the only time I ever get to play this part. Yeah. And so I want to feel like I fully did it. Yeah. I don't want to feel like I let them throw me off. I don't want to feel like I took in their weird energy and that disrupted my one take at this amazing scene or something like that. And again, you don't always succeed, but I think that those two thoughts combined sort of became the bar that I was always trying to reach. Yeah. That's incredible. And, 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 you know, you did three episodes of the deuce talk to me about working with David Simon, who in my opinion is, is the Shakespeare of our time. You know, the, one of the, the best, I'll say it. I believe it. He's the best, you know? Yeah. I, if I could, I've said this to David, I've said it to Alexa Fogel who casts for Alexa. Him. Oh God. Truly. If I could just be forever, a David Simon contract player. A, a David Simon muse. <laughs> Dream of dreams. Because I'm with you. There's a, you know, there are a lot of smart people in the world and every once in a while, it's also how I felt when I worked with Stephen Sondheim, every once in a while you come across someone where you go, oh, your brain is on a whole other level. Yeah. Even the very, very, very smart people are sort of here and then there are a couple of people above that. Yeah. And David Simon, without question, is one of them. And I thought The Deuce was an incredible TV show. I so think that great. A lot what, of what the Crumholtz, Emily Mead, Chris Bauer, they're all friends. 
Yeah, I mean, I only really got to work with Chris. Who he's I the love. best. God, he's my brother. I love that guy. Yeah, we had a lot of fun together. I mean, one of my favorite days in acting was my second my second episode of The Deuce, my second day there. It was a scene that was just me and Chris, which was almost all of my stuff. The doctor's interior have... scene with, yeah, mm-hmm. I love that scene. Thank you so much. Me too. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of scene that you read it and you just go, oh, how exciting. Yeah, that yeah. Get to do this. Um, and you get to talk Susanna. about rim jobs. <laughs> exactly. Um, my, you know, just what your parents imagined for uh, you. When per, hey, perfect Simon material. A life in the, yeah. Exactly. A, a life in the arts. Um, but Sus- Susanna White was directing that episode and she's wonderful. And it just had that feeling that doesn't happen often enough, but is what keeps us going where there is, you know, lightning strikes in that room or something. And Chris is so amazing to act with. And I think we realized pretty quickly, I don't want to speak for him, but I think I realized pretty quickly, but I think he did as well that we act together really well. And that if he throws the ball one way I'll respond and I'll throw the ball back. And that our performance really, you know, in the most perfect world, the scene happens in the space between the two people. It doesn't happen with me forcing my ideas onto you. Yeah. And And, I think Chris and I had so rare to get that, you know, you so rarely get that, you know, I mean, it's incredible that you you shined in that man. I'm, I'm just so proud of you. you. It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. And, and I think, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please, you. I think I lost my train of thought. It was something about how great Chris is. But um, yeah, please keep going. Well, you know, obviously, I we got to talk about the massive elephant in the room. You know, talk to me about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. How did this come your way? I mean, you, you've been in New York, darling. You were on all the New York, you know, amazing shows. And, you know, I, I think I can talk about this. If not, we'll edit it out. But I had auditioned for some Marvel things before that were, you know, back in in the Netflix days. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously, sometimes those go under fixed sides and you don't know what the project is. And, you know, talk to me about how did this come your way? Did you or did you even know what it was when you got it? No, I didn't. I didn't know anything. I got a self-tape audition for I think it was called Untitled Marvel Project Number Four. Yeah, and the role just said Doctor. It didn't say a name, and the scene was a very generalized version yeah. of the what fake the scene ended up. Yeah, being. exactly. No, the no characters had their real names. There were no identifying plot details, and so I made a tape in this apartment with my best friend and didn't have a lot of time for some reason. And I can't remember why. I don't know if I was working on something else or if there just the deadline was really tight, but I sent off two takes of it, which I like to do if I can. And felt can you, pretty can you expound upon it. that real quick? Because I love doing two takes too. What talk to me about why you send two takes, because that's a, that's a huge question for actors. Yeah. I think that if you have, you know, we're not given all the information when we get these auditions. And so if you have multiple viable ways the scene could go and the scene isn't 18 pages long, 
I don't know why you wouldn't send two options. I think you have to make sure that they're two really good, Different, really yeah, valid yeah, options. Yeah. And Lord knows not every scene has a multitude of possibilities. But I thought for this one that there was a version where he was incredibly scared and nervous the whole time. And then I thought there was a version where he was able to sort of calmly and clearly talk about his vague history in these fake audition sides. But even so, I sent two takes and woke up the next morning, I remember really vividly thinking that was a really good opportunity. And I don't know that those takes are good enough. Yeah. I really, I really beat myself up over it for, you know, a day or two. And, um, and, you know, usually there is some sort of intermediate step between an audition and getting a job where you'll get some heads up that, hey, you're in the final three people they're considering or they're double-checking your availability or something like that. Or your pins, you know, yeah. Exactly. There's very often something like that. And for this, there was radio silence for about a month. Wow, so you let it go. Yeah, totally. And then, but every once in a while it would cross my mind and I would go, oh, that wasn't The one that got away, yeah. Totally. And then out of the blue, probably a month later, if not six weeks later, got an email that said offer for untitled Marvel project number four. With seven NDAs attached. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But still no, but still no actual information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and it was really mind blowing. I mean, I think that's something we're all trying to figure out, right. Is what's, what's the formula and the answer is that there is none but i've had auditions where i felt like i delivered the perfect version of what i would want to do and i feel like they've clapped and cheered at the end of it and i never see those people again yeah i have left auditions in tears because i thought it went so poorly and gotten that job always my audition for my audition for the deuce, I remember thinking, I think that was fine, but like, I don't know that anything great happened. And you just know, but you know, when you're the person, you're the person. And it's usually something intrinsic that is out of your control anyway. Yeah. And so for whatever reason, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was the right part. And I, I was listening to this interview with Denise Goff, who I think is so phenomenal. And this is just the best thing I've ever heard where she said at a certain point, she decided in her auditions that it's a little witchy. So get ready. But she decided that it was the spirit of the character sort of floating in the air, deciding which body is the right body for them in that moment. And so it's not the producers deciding it's not the director deciding it's the spirit of the role of Sam or whatever going, who's the right person to tell this story. Yeah. And, and she said that helped her to not be competitive with anybody and to not be, um, you know, it's so easy to fall down these crazy rabbit holes about why certain things aren't working out. And if you can just sort of simplify it and go, well, you know, I wasn't the person Sam needed at that moment in time. Yeah. I think that that maybe takes the pressure off of all of us in a lot of helpful ways. Totally. 
And, 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 and for, you know, Dr. Nagel, you get to work with Anthony Mackey, Sebastian Stan and Daniel Brule. Was, was that a one day shoot for you or was it a couple days? It was actually, you know, these Marvel shows and Marvel films, I'm sure, I'm sure they have a budget. It certainly doesn't feel like they do when you're there because we had the better part of a week to shoot that sequence. And we also had a full rehearsal day. Oh, which wow. Is Very rare. Unheard of. Yeah. And, and to be to be extra clear, it wasn't a full day, but there was a part of a day that was just devoted to an actual rehearsal and not a fake TV rehearsal where you sit around and just sort of like mumble the lines. Yeah, and read the an action. Actual, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. A legitimate rehearsal where we tried different blocking options and we talked about what's really maybe happening in the scene. And so... Then when we showed up to start shooting the next day, we actually had a pretty good idea of what we were going to do. And so I think that we shot, I want to say that we shot the sequence for three days, but the last day was reserved just for that big explosion. Wow. Okay. And so I think we shot the actual conversation part of it for two days. In Atlanta? And then in Atlanta. And then we all came back for the third day to blow the thing up. And talk to me about, you know, getting such, you know, as they say, there's no small parts, but getting this incredible role in a pivotal scene in a pivotal, you know, moment in the show, do you, do you only have the character figured out or was it in the rehearsal where you kind of all figured it out? You know, talk to me about making your choices as an artist and as an actor. Yeah, I think that one thing that's been so comforting in a situation like this is to see that, yes, this is a gigantic project on a gigantic set, but the actual work of acting is the same, whether you're in a closet in the East village, or if you're on this massive Marvel set, you're always asking the same questions and you're, or at least I'm always trying to figure it out dramaturgically in the same way. That's not to say that I have the same process for every single job. I do want my process to be fluid and open and in conversation with the processes of the other people I'm working with. But the basic questions of, you know, who am I? What do I want? Where am I coming from? What are the things other characters are saying about me? Yeah. What are the things I say about myself? Did you watch all the films if you hadn't already? I didn't have time. I mean, I, I got the job and pretty quickly had to go do it within, within about a week or two. Wow. And so I also felt like I had my work cut out for me just memorizing yeah. it because he has a lot of fairly lengthy speeches that were a little longer when we shot them, actually. And so I did have, I think that was my foremost concern because obviously the last thing you want when you show up is to be rough on the uh, lines. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's very clearly a sequence about you delivering yeah. as well as you possibly can. It's going to be very clear if I'm dropping the ball in that yeah. moment. And so, I mean, I had many moments. I, it helps me to memorize if I can physicalize it a little bit. And so, I mean, I was walking up and down the lobby of my hotel, just sort of like muttering lines to myself, hoping that they'll sink in deeper that way somehow. But, um, but yeah, I, I was excited because I felt like 
you know, I looked up what Dr. Wilfred Nagel looks like in the comic books. I don't look a single thing like him. And so I feel like that sort of freed me up to realize, okay, we're not doing a literal interpretation of what what he looks like or yeah. stands like or is drawn like in those. So we can come up with our own thing. And that's also where Kari Skoglund, who directed the series, is so phenomenal because she... I've worked with so many phenomenal directors and I've been so lucky. But Kari, at least in my experience, has the most unbelievable balance of... She knows what she wants. She's clear on her vision. But she's also completely open to what you may have to bring. And maybe it's also because there's time. And so we don't feel a different kind of project would go, the Dr. Nagel sequence is in one location. We can slam through that before lunch. Yeah. But because we have many days on this thing, I think that enables Kari to go, cool, well, like, what if we try a couple takes like this? Or there was one idea that I had where she very clearly didn't see it at first, but because she's who she is went, show me one, let's do a take with that. And then we did it. And she went, yes, I love that. That's exactly right. Amazing. Yeah. And so I really think the time has a huge amount to do with that, but you know, I, I felt like I had my work cut out for me, especially filling out the history of those speeches where he, mentioned certain people he mentions a lot of events and just wondering about you know what did that feel like or what are your opinions of this person and um it it is so nice to feel like yeah you might be on this multi-million dollar thing but when it comes time to do your scene it's similar to every other time you've done a scene in every other scenario that's incredible. And, and talk to me now, what's it been like having it air and the world sees it, you know, has that been intimidating, a blast, you know, like where, where's your head at? It's been all of those things. I mean, it's, it's really fun. I feel really lucky that I like how it turned out. Yeah. That's not always how we feel as I'm no. sure, you know, absolutely not. Um, and also because we, tried so many different versions of this character in the shoot there were you know versions where he was very numb there were versions where he was terrified the whole time there were versions where he was more hostile or less hostile and so i didn't know what the which one they were gonna go with yeah 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 and because i really do believe that that's the job it's not useful for the editor to have seven takes that look the exact same yeah and so that's also putting a great deal of trust into those people's hands. And they could have edited together a performance that looked insane. Yeah. If, you know, one line was from the numb yeah, take, yeah, yeah. The, next, the next line was incredibly angry or whatever. And so it was a relief and it was exciting to feel like, oh, I actually like how this turned out. And, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is its own entire experience in terms of those fans are so passionate but they've been i only have instagram i'm not on twitter or anything like that but the people that have showed up on instagram have said such nice things and such welcoming things and amazing 
yeah, it's also just funny and wild to feel like, you know, I'm an actor just trucking along trying to get jobs. And then one of the jobs I happened to get threw me into the middle of this worldwide phenomenon. I mean, that was, yeah. yeah, I mean, I really do identify as a sort of scrappy New York actor doing doing theater off Broadway and doing these sort of very niche cable and streaming TV shows for the most part. And the Marvel cinematic universe was not on my radar as a thing that might happen to me one day. And I'm so thankful that it did. It's been so fun and really exciting, but it also just feels, it also feels a little foreign in this moment because we're not, moving through the world like normal and so it does feel like it has moved the needle in my career in some way but i don't really have a sense of that because i'm still just inside in my pajamas all the and time. we're still in the pandemic but that that kind of leads to my next question you know i'm so proud of you brother that's incredible work you did Thank you. i hope i i get the chance someday to do half of what you did and marvel I i'm believe. available wink wink and uh you know Talk to me, what's next for you? You know, I mean, that's also a really funny component of this moment is that this hugely exciting thing is going on that I'm really proud of and really excited about. I also still feel like, I don't want to say I feel like a beggar trying to get my next job, but I a little bit do. I'm losing my SAG health insurance next month. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I know. And so six months free funny Cobra to feel like, though. So yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. God. But it's funny to feel like there's this very exciting moment, but also the feeling of real life. Oh, those jobs worked out. Like yeah. none of those things I auditioned for came through. And, but I also think, you know, I'm well acquainted with that at this point. I've been at it for a while. And that's just the thing we signed up for is, that kind of roller coaster. And so, you know, there are certain things that I'm aware of that are happening that I would love to be part of. Um, and there have been a, a handful of jobs the past couple of months that have come really close, but um, it is a, a blank slate. And also, you know, because of the pandemic, we're in yeah, a moment where everything's there slower. Are less, yeah. Yeah. There are less jobs. There are more actors available for those jobs. And so, you know, my hope is that the next job feels like a progression from this one in some way that can mean 300,000 different things. But, um, you know, there, there are definitely people I'm dying to work with. David Simon has another mini series coming yeah. up. The Spanish it, one or it, the, I believe it's about, I believe I might be wrong. We might not want this on the podcast. So I'm wrong. Um, I think it's about the newspaper in Baltimore. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's public. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, there are certain things like that that I loved working for him. I loved working for Antonio Campos on the Sinner, and he's doing the Staircase coming up. Yeah, I do try to keep track of, you know, people I want to continue working with. So it's the work we have to do as actors and being our own agents and managers. But that's incredible, man, and and I'm so grateful for your time. Two final questions for you. You know, you you've been incredible. You have to come back on. I'm not asking. And and, and we have to work together, you know, a must. I love that. 
and uh in so the talk- marvel cinematic universe yes ideally. yeah or star wars wink wink you know <laughs> would love it uh what's kept you inspired during the pandemic oh wow that's a challenging question i think that what has kept me inspired is what usually keeps me inspired and that i think tends to be the work that my friends are doing yeah and the work that and that doesn't necessarily always mean show business work but um the pandemic has given me more time to keep track of you know the tv shows that my friends are on and that kind of stuff and you know i love seeing great acting no matter who it is but when it's great acting done by someone you love and know really well and know what they have gone through in order to do that great acting that keeps me inspired like crazy and you know I've I finally had some time to catch up on a lot of things and I I think that that has kept me going but I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I've always done a good job in the pandemic of remaining inspired. None of us have, but that's that's part of the journey and the beauty of you giving back. And and final question, man, you know, for for all the young actors that are listening right now in the pandemic and struggling and, and at one-on-one and at Actors Connection and, you know, doing the actors access grind, self-submitting and, mm-hmm. and feeling kind of down and out on their luck. Any, any words of wisdom or advice you'd have for them? I feel like it's funny to think about that because sort of all at once, like 26 possible pieces of advice yeah. sort of rush in. But Sorry, I, I know that, that's a loaded question again. I apologize. No, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you have to love acting more than you love success at acting. Yeah. And I feel Fantastic like I've answer. seen a lot. Wow, I'm stealing that. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, if what you're going for is some sort of shiny success based goal, you're in for such a rough ride. You're, you're in for a rough ride no matter what. But if I think if you love acting more than you love success, I think that that will give you some sort of internal compass that can carry you much of the way. And, and I also think that, you know, we didn't get to touch on it too much, but. Episode two. So many, That's why I'm bringing you back. Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, the scrappy theater projects I've made with friends of mine or the small film projects I've made with friends of mine, those kinds of things I think are easy to overlook or easy to sort of discount as not, not career building opportunities or not the kinds of things that like everyone is going to have eyes on. But I think that if you can stay close to the people that you love working with, wherever you're at, and, you know, it feels a little cliched these days to say, you know, create your own work. And that's not exactly what I mean, but I think that I've been so, I've been so sort of buoyed by 
the relationships that I've had with people where we were all sort of scrappy and starting out together 10 years ago, making weird plays. And those experiences are some of the most creatively fulfilling experiences I've ever had. But also you all sort of get to like evolve together as the years go on and hopefully continue working with each other and hiring each other and all of those things. And I'm so glad that my first couple years in New York city was full, were full, excuse me, of, you know, weird theater downtown that made people feel strange when they saw it. But as opposed to only trying to be on like a national tour of a big musical because it would make me some money. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time distilling the point I'm trying to make. No, you, I, I think you, like, I, you've conquered it. I think, you know, you do <laughs> you, your first. I, yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's easy to blow off those small creative projects, but I think in the long run, having a little more perspective, I think those might actually take you further. Yeah even just in terms of your satisfaction yeah. as opposed to always grasping for the fanciest thing you can find. I can't think of a better way to end this. I mean, what an incredible interview. Thank you. Thank and you. I got Thank so you. much love for you, man. And, and I'm so proud of you. And dude, this is, this is so radical, man. The, the best is yet to come. I know it. I hope so for both of us. Yeah. Um, please. I, I think, I mean, I, I think, I was about to say, I, I think what you're doing on this podcast is so amazing. And I think that it's such an amazing service to actors worldwide that I think if I had had something like this when I was in high school, um, I, I think it's so amazing to have, because I think it's easy for people to talk about what has happened to them in a very sort of like shiny, sound bitey kind of way. Yeah. But um I don't know that that's helpful for anybody. I don't think it is either. And, you know, man, I, I, I would rather be acting, you know, if I'm honest, but this is, you know, when I have those auditions and I have thrown them away, I come home and I get to chat with you and remind myself that I love acting more than the success. And that's why I'm in this. And, you know, one day we'll, we'll do Star Wars together and we'll, we'll laugh about the time we were doing a podcast together and, I can't wait for that day and, and you got to come back brother and so much love. Okay. To you too. I'm happy to come literally anytime. Amazing. All right. To be continued. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.